Hello and welcome all. My name is Marissa, and you are listening to the Shining Armor Podcast, the show hosted by a comic book newbie who likes Marvel comics and just wants to talk about Iron Man. This is episode 2 of our series, where we will hopefully briefly cover our metal-clad hero's first few adventures and take a look at his developing power set in his first major armor redesign, as well as recurrent troubles that have already started to develop for our armored protagonist. This episode's discussion will cover three Iron Man stories originally published in Tales of Suspense, number 40, 41, and 42. We've got a lot of ground to cover here, people. So, let's get started. Part 1. A Man of Three Lives Iron Man vs. Gargantus is the title of the first story, first published in TOS number 40, cover dated April 1963, and released on January 10, 1963, and is Iron Man's first published outing following his origin story from the previous issue. It's credited as plotted by Stan Lee, with Robert Bernstein on scripting duties, credited as R. Burns, with pencil art by Jack Kirby and inking by Don Heck. A brief summary is as follows. Tony Stark is now a man who leads three lives, as stated at the top of page two in the first panel. He is shown throughout these first few pages as juggling three distinct identities, one as inventor and military contractor, one as the playboy billionaire who is smooth with the ladies, and one as the superhero Iron Man. This last one he has decided to hide from the general public, so people don't go around thinking Tony Stark and Iron Man are the same person. After an incident in which it becomes apparent that the dull, gunmetal gray color of his armor frightens the people he's meant to be protecting, he paints the gray armor a brilliant gold at the suggestion of a lady friend. In the meanwhile, a disturbance in the town of Granville catches his attention, and, seeing it as a jump for Iron Man, He goes to investigate and finds the entire town under a deep hypnosis by a terrifying figure known as Gargantus, who wields great power and is seemingly the emissary for a group of invading aliens currently orbiting the Earth, looking to take it over. You know, as you do. After Iron Man dispatches their emissary, the aliens come to the realization that maybe this Earth joint just ain't worth conquering after all, and they unanimously decide to just get out of Dodge. The Triple Lives Breakdown In most early Iron Man stories, the villain fights are generally of no real consequence. You'd think this would be a problem with the superhero comic, but we can pull some interesting points of note from this first story, besides the fact that, in the early Marvel Universe, a wild mess just seems to happen in these random small towns. Anyone who's read any of those bonkers Human Torch solo stories in the Strange Tales anthology being published around this time can attest to that. One really fun thing of note shown off on page 2, when showing Tony his capacity as the scientist-slash-inventor-slash-military-contractor, is where he shows off his transistor-powered jet skates for the first time. These things are totally ridiculous, and I love them, completely and unironically. 
They'll get even more fun when he installs them in the armor a few issues from now. That's right, y'all. At one point in time, Iron Man had roller skates. It's laughably silly. And it's glorious. The scenes on pages 2 and 3 illustrate Tony as the Playboy billionaire. Post-origin, it seems that his social appearances are nothing more than an obligation that he feels compelled to fulfill. But the fact that he still even bothers to try and maintain some semblance of a normal social life, for him anyway, shows that it is an integral part of who he is as a character. He is seen in the issue with two different ladies in two different places, and is shown to still enjoy their company, even though he has to make up several rather lame excuses in order to get away in two different situations, so as not to give away his third identity as pages 3 and 4 detail his exploits as the newly minted hero Iron Man. As the armor-clad hero, he is shown busting everyone from petty bank robbers to mad scientists hell-bent on world domination. In this issue, he also insists in calming runaway circus animals. So, knowing what we know now about animal mistreatment in circuses, I don't blame the poor creatures for trying to escape. All of this is in addition to the title fight against Gargantus. Though, to be fair, I think the circus animal breakout is much more thrilling than the title fight. But, that's just me. We're going to break down Tony's second identity and his social life slash love life in more detail in the next episode, so stay tuned for that, better goodness. The Secret Hiding in Plain Sight I will now take this time to address the giant honking elephant in the room. The oddity that I was going to say for later in the episode, but ultimately decided it's better addressed sooner rather than later. Notice that Tony takes great care in keeping his civilian identity separate from his Iron Man persona. In fact, it's shown that he often goes out of his way to keep the two lives from intersecting in any way, even when it is highly inconvenient and causes him no end of headaches to do so. And all of you lovely listeners out there know exactly what I'm getting at, don't you? That's right, people. Believe it or not, Iron Man had a secret identity. The very concept of Iron Man, of all people, having a secret identity most definitely sounds foreign and perhaps even a bit asinine to all those only familiar with his counterpart in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where, as covered at length in the origin episode, at the end of the first Iron Man film released in 2008, Tony Stark blows his cover clean out of the water right out the gate by outing himself in a press conference after being jealous of his own news coverage. This is probably the biggest difference between MCU Tony and Comics vs. Tony. In the Marvel Comics canon, Iron Man would maintain a secret identity all the way up until the early 2000s, where it was finally dismantled for good going forward after several false starts preceding the ultimate disillusion. Though, it might actually be argued, however, that maybe his maintaining a secret identity helped to ground the character more, as what would come almost directly after abandoning his long-kept secret 
can be easily described as nothing less than character assassination. But we'll get to that when we get to it. As an aside, I've gone back and forth in my head as to whether or not I would rightfully refer to the comic's canon using the long-held designation of Universe 616. However, due to the confusion caused by recently released MCU films, more specifically Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which was released in May of 2022, I hesitate to actually use this designation. But let me know if y'all think I should. If so, I will more than gladly refer to the comics verse as 616 going forward. But for now, I believe it would be safer to refrain from doing so. Initial Armor Specifications Before moving on from TOS number 40, I want to talk a little bit about this very first iteration of the Iron Man armor, as this is meant to be a kind of sort of semi-comprehensive podcast about Iron Man. I would be remiss if I didn't. Since the armor's first appearance in the origin story, it is shown that within the elapsed time between Tony escaping from captivity and returning home, to the start of this issue's events, he has already made several updates and innovations to the armor. For starters, it is now collapsible and fits in a briefcase, allowing him to take it with him anywhere he goes, and to have it on hand in case an emergency requires him to put it on. Granted, this early collapsible form looks less elegant on paper, as it is often drawn as unfolding like fabric. Of course, metal does not work this way, so it does look a little derpy. But this will be rectified with time, giving it a more practical and elegant appearance. Interesting to note, it is stated on page 5 that Tony has gotten his Iron Man quick change down to a minute, meaning that, should the need arise, all he needs to do is get in a secluded space and he can change into Iron Man literally at a moment's notice. Not bad, Tony. Our boy also seems to have made significant adjustments to the armor's life support systems, so much so that only the chestplate is required to be worn at all times, whereas at the end of the origin story, it was implied that he would need to be permanently encased in the full armor 24-7 in order to survive. The chestplate is worn under his clothing, and he is shown as requiring to charge it every so often in order to keep the power supply up, and thus keeping his shrapnel-ridden heart beating, keeping him alive just that little bit longer. In the instances where he needs to regain power, it shows him just plugging into a standard wall socket in order to recharge, which admittedly is kind of hilarious. Because he is constantly wearing the chest plate, he opts to refrain from many of the social interactions that he would normally have engaged in quite readily before, so as not to reveal the existence of said chestplate. Again, we'll cover this in a bit more detail next episode. The armor also receives its first major redesign in only just the second issue. As he comes to the realization that Gunmetal Grey is intimidating and seems to frighten people following the circus incident, he very readily takes the advice of a lady friend and paints it gold. The armor would maintain its more bulky silhouette and full gold coloring until TOS number 48, 
where it will be redesigned to the sleeker and more form-fitting red and gold design that we are more familiar with. We can also see the first few abilities the armor displays on top of the basic enhanced strength and durability afforded to the wearer, including the vaunted and awkwardly named Reverse Magnetism, and a chest ray that doubles as a flashlight. This ray would eventually morph into a damage-dealing weapon, and is the precursor to the Unibeam. Note that during the Gargantus fight, the armor isn't actually shown to really fly yet, so much as power jump or rocket jump. So, I'm not quite comfortable calling it flight just yet. Don't worry, we'll get there. Part 2 Tony Stark, Philanthropist Issue covered? Tales of Suspense number 41 The Stronghold of Doctor Strange Yes, I know what you're thinking. And no, it's not that Doctor Strange. Let's get that bit of weirdness out of the way first. This is actually Dr. Carlo Strange. No relation to Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange. It's still a bit too early for the would-be Sorcerer Supreme to appear just yet. Imagine, Marvel Comics reusing names for wholly and decidedly different characters. Who'da thunk it? Cover dated May 1963 and released on February 12, 1963. This issue is credited as being plotted by Stanley, inscripted by R. Burns, with art by Jack Kirby, inks by Dick Ayers, and lettering by Marty Epp. The rundown of this issue is as follows. This particular Doctor Strange is a mad scientist who escapes from prison by tricking the guards into getting him in an optimal position to escape unnoticed. Once he is in said position, he is able to alter a radio frequency tuned to Iron Man's helmet controls and uses this to mind control our boy and make him do his bidding, helping him to bust out of prison and return to his island of evil in order to exact whatever world domination scheme he was concocting. He darn near succeeds as well. However, Iron Man is able to shake the mind control and go after him to right what he sees as a wrong that he allowed to happen. The evil doctor almost actually succeeds in besting our hero, but Strange's daughter, Carla, saves Iron Man at the last minute by giving him a power source. Read regular D batteries from a flashlight, which he uses as a recharge boost to continue the fight causing the Doctor to flee and never be heard from again. Not much really happens this issue in regards to the armor's abilities shown off, but a few points of note in smaller scenes do stand out. Charitable giving Tony is shown at a charity event for a children's hospital where he donates a large sum of money to build a new wing. The event itself is presented as though it is a regular event that he attends, so it stands to reason that perhaps there are other charitable causes that he also puts his vast amounts of capital into. Later on, we will see him at other such fundraisers, such as for a wildlife sanctuary and a community center. One of my favorites is much later on, where we will see that he is willing to be the money behind someone else's dream if he thinks the cause is worth it. And it's such a heartwarming scenario all around that I can't bear to spoil it for you. So, 
I can only hope that I get to share with you when we get there. All of this to say is that Tony is not one of those rich idiots that just sits on his money or is merely content to spend it on himself. Charitable causes and giving back are important to him. The kids love Iron Man. As previously mentioned, the undisclosed amount Tony donated during the Children's Hospital fundraiser is designated towards fully funding a new wing of the hospital, which the faculty will surely name after him to show their gratitude. A cynic might wonder if he just wants something else to put his name on, since rich white dudes love putting their name on stuff. Admittedly, our boy is no exception in this department. However, the very next day, he appears as Iron Man to entertain the children, juggling cars and the like, and just generally wowing them. This is the first of a handful of instances over the six-decade history of this character that shows one of his most little-known secrets yet. Tony Stark actually likes children. On first glance, he doesn't seem the type to care about kids, or anyone outside of himself, for that matter. But this won't be the last time he would go actively out of his way to make a child smile. It's definitely one of his lesser-known traits, and doesn't appear too often. But it's one that I appreciate when it does appear, as I find it endlessly endearing. Medical Research and Armor Improvements He is also shown to participate in some level of various forms of scientific research, and later on it will be expanded upon that he has made several advancements in medical technology, though unfortunately these will be largely forgotten over time. One of his more notorious medical experiments is going to come into play in this very book, but it won't be for a while so I'll let you know when it's coming. Although the villain fight in this issue was unremarkable, as sadly is the case with many early Iron Man stories, it is notable for showing that someone with the right amount of cunning and patience can override Iron Man's helmet frequency to control him. MCU fans are already familiar with Tony's relentless paranoia when it comes to problem solving and avoiding past mistakes or issues. Tony would later develop all manner of gadgets and improvements to his armor systems to shield his mind from what he deems psychic interference in order to prevent this exact problem from reoccurring. It won't be perfect, and he'll keep having to refine the systems, but it's safe to say he began implementing said safeguards due to this incident. As far as the newly dubbed powers tally, as far as this podcast is concerned, this issue shows that he is able to seal his helmet in order to preserve air, allowing him to traverse underwater or underground for a time, and can even use the magnetic beams in his gloves to dig tunnels. Pretty handy, I'd say. Part 3 Iron Man, Tommy Smasher Issue covered, Tales of Suspense number 42 Iron Man, Trapped by the Red Barbarian this issue is cover dated June 1963 and released on March 12, 1963. It is credited as being plotted by Stan Lee, with scripting yet again by Bernstein, and art this time by Don Heck, who I presume is also inking his own work in this issue, as there is no inker credited, citation needed, with lettering by E. Thomas. 
here's the gist of the thing. After busting a weapon smuggling operation by Soviet operatives led by the Red Barbarian, Iron Man returns to his civilian identity as Tony Stark in order to show off a new weapon for the military. The Red Barbarian appears to make a tentative alliance with a lesser-known villain known as the Actor, who has the ability to change his appearance for any purpose he sees fit. And both baddies collude to trap and assassinate Tony while sneaking into the Stark Labs to steal his latest weapons designs. Upon successfully sneaking into the labs, while disguised as Tony, the actor stumbles upon the secret of Tony's double identity as Iron Man, which he keeps to himself in the hopes of being able to leverage this knowledge for either blackmail or other leverage from the powers that be. However, upon being thwarted by Iron Man, who takes back the plants after leaving them high and dry, the Red Barbarian, in his anger, dispatches the actor with extreme prejudice. The secret of Tony's double identity will remain safe for the foreseeable future. Establishment Representative Once again, we are reminded that, despite all else, Tony Stark is a figure who represents the establishment to the nth degree. Not only is he shown once again in his capacity as civilian contractor and weapons manufacturer for U.S. defense, but this time, Iron Man is shown working closely with the FBI, giving us our earliest images of Iron Man collaborating with law enforcement. Most Marvel heroes at the time tended to deliberately operate outside of the law. Not that I'm naming any names here. <coughs> Spider-Man! <coughs> So the fact that Iron Man is shown actively working with the feds may actually be a first here and reestablishes him as part of the system rather than outside the system. Later in his history, he will become more and more likely to veer outside the confines of the law in cases where he deems it so necessary as he becomes less entangled with the establishment, culminating most infamously in the highly acclaimed Armor Wars story arc where he finally goes full vigilante in the ultimate expression of screw it all and hang the consequences. Boy, I can't wait to finally share that arc with you all. It's going to be a real treat. Dictator Dispatcher Following on the heels of his origin story where he dispatches the Red Gorilla leader Wong Chu with a vengeance, this story has our boy face off against the Red Barbarian firmly establishing Iron Man as a commie smasher hero at the height of the Cold War, for better or for worse. In modern times, this becomes droll and tiresome, and seems a bit passe in all of the worst ways. Regardless, Iron Man as a cold warrior fighting against the forces of communism actually end up resulting in the creation of some of his most iconic baddies, the first of which will be discussed very soon in a forthcoming episode. With this in mind, it's really hard to say whether or not the commie smasher angle was played out from the word go, since we can only look at it from a 21st century viewpoint when some of the most infamous villains in Iron Man's rogues gallery initially followed this trend. In other words, your mileage may vary. What we can say for certain, though, is that unfortunately, Many of these one-off communist baddies are often portrayed as comically inept and cartoonishly villainous, 
as illustrated by the Red Barbarian here. And this comes with its own set of issues that I honestly don't feel equipped enough to break down here. But again, with it being such a notable issue that's going to plague this book for some time to come, I couldn't not bring it up. Curtains for the actor. The more interesting player here, and I say interesting in air quotes with a grain of salt, is the actor, who in and of himself is really just a poor man's clone of the chameleon, right down to his ability to disguise himself into anyone and everyone. And I mean everyone. He's only the first thorn in our side who would disguise himself as Tony in order to sneak into the Stark Labs to steal secrets and plans. And, wouldn't you know it, he won't be the last, as this idea would be reused with several different villains later on down the line. The most interesting thing about this guy is that he discovers and recognizes components of Iron Man's armor whilst rummaging around for said plans, and he is actually able to use his brain cells to put two and two together, making him the first individual in this book, friend or foe, who figures out that Tony Stark and Iron Man are one and the same. As you can imagine, a villain learning the secret can be devastating for our hero, as it has shown to be for many heroes before and after. But we don't have to worry about that for now. Luck is on our boy's side here, as the actor takes the brunt of his boss's fatal wrath, and he'll be taking that secret to the grave. Mr. Barbarian should have held his temper just a bit longer. Close Calls and Armor Specs Update This issue shows the first marked entrance where wearing Iron Man's chest plate actually saves Tony's bacon, outside of just keeping his heart beating, as during the assassination attempt, it effectively serves as a bulletproof vest, shielding him and thwarting the attempt on his life, which in turn allows him to get away safely and change into Iron Man to dispatch the assassins. In a notable update to the powers tally, this is the first issue where we actually see Iron Man fly, as in a proper rendering of a pose that actually looks like flying, as opposed to the derpy little rocket jumps he was shown as doing before. The art of Iron Man in motion is still very stiff at this point, as the team is still working on getting them down, I would imagine, and it unfortunately is going to look stiff for a while before it starts to loosen up, and art of his traversal abilities will begin to look more accurate and natural as natural as a dude in a flying tank can look anyway. We do get incredibly close here though, for the first time, so I now feel comfortable adding the much vaunted and iconic ability of flight to Iron Man's ever-growing arsenal. We will, of course, continue to attempt to keep a running tally of his capabilities as we progress through the history of the character. And that'll do it for this episode! Thank you all very much for joining me. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in further adventures of our armored hero, please tune in for episode 3, where we will review the issues covered in this episode through the lens of Tony Stark as Playboy Billionaire and Ladies Man, as well as cover the next two issues, Tales of Suspense number 43 and 44. If you for some reason haven't listened to the previous episode where we covered Iron Man's origin, please feel free to check out episode 1. As always, the intro and outro theme is Breakdown by Kevin McLeod. Until next time, I'm Marissa, and you've been listening to the Shining Armor Podcast. 
a show hosted by a comic book newbie who likes Marvel Comics and just wants to talk about Iron Man. Stay safe and be good, y'all. <laughs>